In relationships, I've always said that there are three sides to every story. His side, her side, and the truth. Well, the same can be said for politics. There's the blue side, the red side, and the truth. We're here to help you figure out what is true. This is Truth Seekers with Rocky and Lucas. Okay, so last week we discussed the Trump indictment, and in that episode, we actually talked about there being some events that were smokescreened while the indictment was announced. So first, we're going to address the one where Hunter Biden files a countersuit against the computer repair shop owner for invasion of privacy. So in a Politico article by Kira Frazier, the attorneys for Biden are asserting six counterclaims. They're alleging that the computer repairman, John Paul Isaac, had no legal right to obtain and distribute data from Biden's laptop. So here's the funny part. Biden doesn't even confirm that the laptop is his. He's filing a countersuit for a computer that may or might may not be his, where the contents may or may not be true. The article goes on to say that Mr. Biden is without knowledge sufficient to admit or deny the allegations. And that's a quote as well. So my question is, why bother filing a lawsuit if the computer is not yours in the first place? And as far as in obtaining and distributing the data, it became the shop owner's right when Hunter Biden didn't pick it up after 90 days. That's Delaware law. Yeah, I mean, and it was way more than 90 days. I mean, that thing was there for a really long time. Right, but the law in Delaware is 90 days. Oh, so you, you give up your rights. Yeah, this this entire laptop story makes zero sense unless your name happens to be Biden. Biden. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so the second smoke screen is this spy balloon continued. There was a shocking report about the Chinese spy balloon that drifted across the U.S. in February of this year, collecting intelligence from several sensitive American military sites and transmitting that information back to Beijing in real time. Now, according to NBC News, which cited two current senior U.S. officials and one former White House official, the device actually made multiple passes over some key installations, and at times, it flew in a figure eight to ensure maximum data collection. The intelligence China collected mostly came from electronic signals that may have emitted from weapon systems and communications by personnel at various bases. The Pentagon has not confirmed which sites were spied upon by China, but the key installations in the path of that balloon included Malmstrom Air Force Base in Montana, Offutt Air Force Base in Nebraska, and Joint Base Charleston in South Carolina, which hosts two nuclear submarine squadrons. The U.S. officials have previously said that the balloon was equipped with antennas capable of collecting communication signals and also carried large solar panels that could have run various data sensors. In response to all of that, the White House, through their spokesperson, Olivia Dalton, told reporters that the surveillance balloon, we believe, had limited ability to collect any additional intelligence beyond what could have been collected through other surveillance means. And I just don't have anything beyond that to add. So basically, this thing flew across the United States. Biden said it was no big deal, wouldn't shoot it down, and turns out Chinese were able to collect a bunch of information. You might remember that the balloon first entered U.S. airspace over Alaska on January 28th, though the Pentagon did not confirm that it existed until February 2nd as it traveled over Montana and was spotted by civilians. 
that is why we know that there was a balloon that was flying over the United States. It wasn't because the Pentagon or anybody else told us. It was because a bunch of photographers from Montana happened to look up in the sky and say, what the hell is that? So the Defense Department said that it had acted immediately to protect against the collection of sensitive information, but they didn't bother to say what it was that they actually did to do that. So not only that, we actually talked about it in the previous episode that we did regarding the spy balloon, that even if they quote unquote stopped the, the spy balloon itself, it, that didn't mean that the information wasn't transferring. And that was one of the things that I said was that it had the capability or tech, China has the technology to enable it to transfer in real time, which is what they're admitting to now. But beyond that, at the time that that thing was flying over... The Defense Department said, we, we've we jammed their transmission. Nothing's getting through. We've we prevented it. And that was a bunch of crap. Well, even yeah. if they jammed it at that time, they didn't jam it when it was flying over Alaska. Who's to say? We don't know. You might remember that after they finally shot that thing down, that they spent the entire weekend trying to make up for that. Once they shot that thing down, they gave a, a few privates a chance to play balloon blunder missile mayhem, wasting a crap ton of Sidewinder missiles attempting to shoot down high school science balloons and things like that. Of course, in reaction to that, the Albuquerque International Balloon Fiesta was canceled. (laughs) Yeah, no, sorry, that's a joke. So what did Biden say after all of that happened? If you'll remember that the 80-year-old Biden crime boss, Joe Biden, downplayed the balloon in an exclusive interview with the number one source in this kind of news, Telemundo, where he said, this is not a major breach. Look, the total amount of intelligence gathered that's going on every day in the country around the world is overwhelming. He went on to say, uh, what's that? Creo que me caque en los pantalones. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if he actually said that, but... The House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Michael McCowell, he's a Republican from Texas, told the Post on Monday that the Chinese Communist Party spy balloon should never have been allowed to enter U.S. airspace and the balloon collected data from some of our most sensitive military sites. And that was not by accident. It was by their design. And it's unacceptable that the Biden administration allowed the direct threat to U.S. national security to occur. Okay, so that story was the perfect segue into this next one. So another story that took a backseat to the Trump indictment is the one about the American journalist that was taken prisoner in Russia on charges of espionage. So this writer, Evan Gershkovic, and pardon me if I slaughtered his name, went to Russia in 2017 for a couple reasons. Uh, According to his friends, he wanted to go to a quote-unquote far-flung location and ultimately get in touch with his Russian heritage just based on his last name. Sure, we can all assume that. Okay, so he initially went to work for the Moscow Times, but in 2022, he went to work for the Wall Street Journal as a Moscow-based correspondent. On Thursday, March 30th, Gershkovic was taken into custody with the Russian authorities alleging that he was, quote-unquote, spying in the interest of the American government. So the funny thing is, is we just talked about that spy balloon and the locations the balloon was, you know, visiting and I use that term loosely, this guy was kind of doing the same thing. And I'm not saying it was espionage, but his what it sounds it sounds pretty innocent. But let me explain. So in an article from NBC News, a Russian journalist named Dmitry Dolozev said that Gershkovic wanted to report on the Wagner Group activities. So the Wagner Group is this private military group that has helped Russia in conflicts with countries such as Syria and Libya. And it's also run by the guy that's known as Putin's chef, who happens to be, his name is Yevgeny Prisgozhin, 
who used to cater state events, obviously, for Putin. Okay. And now he's his homie. Some of the other stories that interested Gershkovic were he wanted to conduct street interviews of people near the military factories and ask them what they thought about the war. So he's just like playing guy on the street, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. So he wanted to go to a factory in Russia that manufactures tanks and other military vehicles, and he wanted to hear from both sides regarding the war. It's kind of like what we're doing. You know what I mean? We're presenting what we all know what the left presents. We kind of don't need to present that. We're just presenting another side. And, and it's up to, again, yeah. people to decide what they want to believe. Pretty standard journalism. Anyways, and so that that's what he was doing. So there was no confirmation that he was ever able to do any of this research. And not only that, there's no evidence that there was any espionage going on at all by Russia can't confirm anything at this point. Right. So just to touch on this briefly, back in 1986, Nicholas Daniloff, who was also a Moscow correspondent for U.S. News and World Report, was arrested by the KGB. That's a blast from the past. (laughs) Uh, He was released 20 days later in a swap with a United Nations employee who had been arrested by the FBI also for spying. So I don't know what's going to happen with this Evan Gershkovic. Um, It's not looking good for him because... For the most part, the Russians don't have to prove anything. Well, yeah, the Russian legal system isn't that much more democratic than, say, the Soviet system. For instance, there is no such thing as attorney-client privilege in in Russia, which means that 100% of his communication with his lawyer is monitored by the prosecution, by the judge, by everybody. So I'm not sure how you can mount a a strong defense without having some sort of secret strategy on which you are going to defend yourself, obviously. The other thing I heard is that these types of cases, these espionage cases, are actually held in secret court. While most cases have a jury in Russia and it makes it look like it's very democratic, Espionage cases are behind closed doors and they are adjudicated solely by a judge. And apparently there is less than 1% acquittal rate by defendants. Nice. Unless there's a basketball trade. Sorry, <laughs> no, she was, she, trade. She, was uh, she was convicted. She was found guilty. Well, I know. But I mean, as far as him getting out, you know, maybe there's a chance. Okay. Our last smokescreen involves an order that was given by Merrick Garland. So... You might remember back in June, there was a story about a Supreme Court decision overturning Roe versus Wade. After that decision was announced, the protests and rallies spread from the Supreme Court building to the nation's streets and eventually to the conservative justice homes outside of Washington. Now, Republicans have repeatedly demanded that Garland explain why no protesters were arrested or charged under the statute this past summer. If you'll remember, federal law makes it illegal to picket or parade near a judge's residence with the intent to interfere or obstruct or impede with the administration of justice. When the Republicans asked what was going on, Garland, his response was basically there were no indictments because there were no arrests. But why were there no arrests? Well, thanks to Senator Katie Britt, we now know why. U.S. Marshals were directed not to arrest protesters outside the Supreme Court justices' homes because of the reversal of Roe v. Wade last year. Katie Britt submitted documents that were unveiled during a Senate Appropriations Subcommittee hearing where she grilled Attorney General Merrick Garland. Britt received the, the documents through a Justice Department whistleblower, and the documents made it very clear that no arrests would be made as a result of Garland's order. Basically, 
the top cop of the U.S., gave the order to allow people to break the law and intimidate Supreme Court justices. I suppose this shouldn't be any surprise to anybody because this is the same guy that testified before Congress that they were having a difficult time arresting pro-choice terrorists that were destroying property at churches and pregnancy centers. And the reason that they could not make any arrests were because those crimes were committed at night. This is the same guy that was nominated to be a Supreme Court justice. Thank God. (laughs) And there you have it. Another episode of Truth Seekers in the Books. As always, our mission is to uncover the truth and share it with you. I'm Rocky. And I'm Lucas. And until next time, stay informed and keep digging deeper. Goodbye. Goodbye.